Well, good morning. Welcome to TBA. How are you all this morning? <laughs> all right, great. Well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Dave Shive. I'm one of the pastors here at TBA. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. We're going to continue today in our Advent series, um, and we've been looking back at the first coming of the very first Advent, at the coming of Christ, looking at the birth of Jesus through the different people who experienced the very first Advent. We looked at the shepherds. We, start, we started out looking at the shepherds who were the first one to hear the announcement of the good news of Jesus' birth. And we saw their obedience as they went about telling everybody about this good news that they heard. And then the second week, we looked at the wise men who traveled a long distance to see Jesus. But not only just to see Jesus, but they came prepared to worship a king. And then last week, we looked at Joseph who was not a man of many words, but we saw through Joseph's obedience that, that his love didn't need a whole lot of words. He loved without words. And so today we're going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And out of all the people who were witnesses to the birth of Jesus, Mary is definitely a central character in the Christmas story. But like Joseph and the others that were there, the Bible doesn't really give us a lot of information about her. And I think that's on purpose. Because I think God knows how foolish we can be and how easily our attention can be diverted away from what we should be focusing on. Because the Christmas story is totally and fully about the fact that God came to this earth in the form of a little bitty baby. But that's not to say that we can't learn some truths from the other characters. So let's talk about Mary for a little bit. Who was Mary? <coughs> Excuse me. Very little is known of her personal history. We know from the detailed genealogy that Luke gives in chapter 3 that she was from the tribe of Judah and from the lineage of David. We know that she lived in Nazareth, which was a small village of only a few hundred people. And Nazareth was this nowhere insignificant town. It wasn't on any of the major trade routes and all the important roads bypassed it. It was well off the beaten path, far from the important centers of Jewish culture and religion. We think that Mary was very young. While the Bible doesn't specifically state how old Mary was when Jesus was born, most Christian historians speculate she was around 14 to 16 years of age at the time of Jesus' birth. Because according to Jewish customs at the time, a young woman might be become betrothed to a young man as early as 12 years of age. And though, although the consummation of their marriage through ceremony and physical intimacy wouldn't happen until they were legally married. That happened many months or sometimes even years later. So although there isn't a lot that we know about Mary before the birth of Jesus, I think one thing that we can easily assume is that Mary is a young girl in love, <coughs> waiting with happy anticipation for the day of her wedding. And like brides everywhere to be, she can hardly think of anything else but the day of her wedding. If we assume that the wedding feast is still four or five months away, we can imagine all of her thoughts center on the things that prospective brides think about today, like the guest list and the decorations and the food and the music and what is she going to wear and where are they going to house all the people coming from out of town. It was probably one of the happiest and most exciting times in Mary's life. And it's in this moment in her life that God breaks in. He's about to ask an unknown teenage girl living in a know-nothing town to take part in something that will not only change her life forever, 
but change the world forever as well. So let's look at the story. It's in Luke chapter 1, and it's in verse 26. If you've got a Bible open there or a Bible app, open that up. It'll be on the screen if you don't have either one of those. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I can imagine Mary going about her day, working out the plans for the wedding ceremony in her mind, thinking about her future life, never in a million years expecting what is about to happen. And then as she's going about her life, God steps in and disrupts everything. He disrupts everything. Verse 29 says she was confused and dazed. I mean, the angel startles Mary emotionally with his presence and his words. He disrupts her very privacy, her sense of space, of safety. I can imagine her surprise when she receives the news. What are you talking about, angel? Me? Calling me the favored one? Who, me? And then I can imagine the shock of the information that Gabriel lays out to her her mind racing to process what's being said. Now, we can only speculate what was running through her mind, but we do get some clues from how she responds in verse 34 when she says, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. So she understands there's going to be some significant complications in the plans that she has for her life if she takes this on. Things are definitely going to change. And Brian talked about this last week. She was betrothed which meant that she was basically in a contract that was just as binding as marriage itself. In fact, it required a divorce to free one from this pledge, which is what you would expect if you were to be found pregnant with a child before the consummation of the marriage. So here she is, here's Mary, enjoying the most cherished plans of her whole life. Because at this point in her life, she's the center of her family's of her family and friends' attention. She's the center of it. But if she takes this on, she's now going to be the center of their shame and their scorn. And for that matter, what about Joseph? She has no idea how he's going to react to all this. I mean, legally, at a minimum, he could divorce her and leave her in shame and scandal. At a maximum, he could have her stoned to death. He would be in his rights to do so. No one would blame him. And truthfully, either option would have been expected by all people. 
And I don't know if she was able to process it at the time, but in verses 32 and 33, Gabriel tells her who this child is going to become. I mean, he's going to have the throne of David. He's going to establish a kingdom that lasts forever. And every good Jewish boy and girl, they would have this expectation. They knew that somehow God would send a ruler to restore justice and righteousness forever in Israel. This was their messianic hope. It was their advent. But I wonder if she understood the implications of that at the time. Because she was going to soon face them if she says yes. Because an earthly king, a local king, is going to feel threatened. And they're going to try to find them. And they're going to try to eliminate the threat. And Mary and her family would be on the run. They'd be uprooted from their home. They'd be fugitives. And I don't know how many of these things were going through her mind or, or even how long she contemplated it after Gabriel tells her how she's going to be, become pregnant. I mean, we read the story and we go straight to Mary's response. But I wonder if there weren't a few moments of pause at that point as Mary processed all this information and thought about the implications of saying yes. Because truly, this was a heavy burden. This was a heavy burden to lay before a 14 or 15-year-old Jewish girl. I mean, how how would she respond? Frederick Bruckner describes the encounter from how he thought Gabriel might have seen things in his book, Peculiar Treasures. He's a fiction writer and he writes fiction. It is fiction. He writes fiction about different characters in the Bible. And this is how he says it from Gabriel, Gabriel's perspective. He says, she struck the angel Gabriel as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he'd been entrusted with a message to give her and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary. He said, and as he said it, he only hoped she wouldn't notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think the whole future of creation now hung on the answer of a girl. I can't help but wonder what she might have been thinking. I mean, because if it's me, I'd be saying, wait a minute. This is how you treat your highly favored? Allowing my life to face hardship and misunderstanding? I mean, can't you just get everybody on board first, God, and remove all the resistance, remove all the rough spots, make the path easy? More likely, I probably would have said, well, you just, Gabriel, you've got the wrong person. First of all, my schedule is way too full at this moment to take on anything else. And certainly, there has to be somebody else more qualified to handle this than me. And if I'm being truthful about it, it scares me to death, and things are going really good in my life, and I don't want to rock the boat, so I don't know if I really want to engage in this right now. Because, I mean, you're asking me, well, you're asking me to give up everything. See, how often have you responded to God in that way? Even in things that aren't, as momentous as the decision that Mary has to make, but how often do we tell God, God, man, I'm just too busy right now. It's too hard. There's too much of a cost. I mean, do we allow God to interrupt our plans? Do we allow him access in every area of our lives? Or have we become so quick to dismiss him 
and so quick to push him down on the priority list that we're desensitized to his calling. And we're in essence spiritually blind and deaf. See, I wonder, I wonder what our expectations are towards God. Because we say we want God to come close. We say we want God to be close to us, to be present in our lives. But we never expect God to startle us. And we never expect God to interrupt our plans. We want to maintain a sense of control in the relationship. See, we say we want God, but we're not in his word. We say we want God, but we can't even come regularly on Sundays to worship him. We say we want God, but we don't serve. We say we want God, but we don't submit. We say we want God, but we don't tithe. We say we want God, but we really don't. We really don't. We just want the idea of God. We want God on our terms, not his. And Mary could have easily fallen into only accepting God on her terms. But she didn't. She simply said, in light of all the implications, she simply said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Whoops. I went the wrong way, didn't I? So... Yes, I am the Lord's servant. Sorry. May everything you've said about me come true. That's what she said. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever God wants. How amazing is it that she ponders this news for such a short time and then tells the angel to count her in, that she's going to do whatever God asks of her. She didn't sleep on it. She didn't pray about it. She didn't call her best friend. She didn't insist she run past this past her mother or even better, her fiance. She just accepts this incredible invitation and waits to see what will happen next. Mary let God disrupt her life. She surrenders her plans to his presence and places her life in God's hands. And then God places his life in her. And this is the central theme of the Christmas story that I think we sometimes forget. It's about us placing our lives in God so that he can place his life in us. And although in Mary's case, it's a physical incarnation of God actually placing life in her, for us, the same is true when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Through the Holy Spirit, God seeks to place life in all of us. God's people are referred to as the bride of Christ. He sent his spirit that all who would receive Christ might be filled with his life. Jesus came to this earth, and we've talked about it through this Advent series, to bring life to those that are dead in their sins. He came to pay the cost of our transgressions. He came to sacrifice all on the cross for you and me in order that we can have eternal life. And God said that Christ will come to all and live in all who respond the way that Mary responded and say, let it be. Let it be. Perhaps you've never received this life. Perhaps you've never said yes to God's free gift of grace. I want to tell you, if that's where you're at today, all you've got to do is call on the name of the Lord, and he will enter into your life. And if you haven't accepted Jesus, or you want to know more information about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I encourage you to go to the Next Steps area after the service. 
We've got some information to give you to help you on your journey. There are great people there that will pray with you and get you started on that. Don't leave today without knowing where your salvation lies. But maybe you have accepted Christ and you've come into this Christmas season finding you simply feel more detached from his presence because your yes to God has become quieted and quenched. Maybe you're having a difficult time hearing from him. Maybe a part of you is emotionally guarded from God disrupting your life the way he disrupted Mary's life. Maybe a part of you isn't too happy with your circumstances and you've closed yourself off from saying yes to God right where you are. Maybe you think things are just impossible. Mary's situation was impossible, but the angel Gabriel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Many of us think in the language of impossibility. We think, well, I, can't, I couldn't possibly do that, and God wouldn't possibly do that. However, the angel promises not only Mary, but all that believe that nothing will be impossible with God. Yes, it may seem impossible when I try to do it alone, but nothing is impossible with God. The way may seem impossible to travel when I try to journey alone, but nothing is impossible with God. How easy is it for us to forget this, especially when we're hurting? How easy is it for us to shut others out and only see darkness instead of the light that will lead us where we need to go? Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm really not saying it's easy because it's not. It's not easy. I'm saying that it takes faith. See, we read this story of Mary, and we often lift her up beyond human standards. And Mary isn't someone to look up to as the perfect example that we can never reach. Instead, when we see her step out in faith, we realize that we're called to that same kind of, of life-risking faith. And I'm, like I said, it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Mary. Even though we often tell this Christmas story like it's a warm and fuzzy Hallmark movie. It wasn't anything like that. It was nothing like that. Things were difficult for Mary from the first moment she said yes. Things in her life got very difficult Aside from the scandal of being pregnant outside of marriage, she had to run from a king that wanted her son dead. They were uprooted from their home and had to live in a foreign land. And I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine how it must have been for her to watch as the son that she gave birth to be beaten, tortured, and nailed to a cross. Mary's life wasn't easy. Mary's life would never be the same once she said yes to God. Your life will never be the same when you say yes to God. Will your, will your path be difficult? Yes, most likely. Maybe not as difficult as Mary's life, but difficult nonetheless. Life in itself is just difficult. It is. But man, a little bit of faith just a little faith. Faith that trusts no matter what you're going through. Faith that says God is in control. Faith that walks in uncertainty because the path isn't always clear for us. 
faith that says, God, I'm going to trust you because in you all things are possible. See, Mary is no different than you and me. She simply used faith to say yes to God. Because without faith, Mary wouldn't have accepted the words that Gabriel had for her. She would have told God she was not young, she was too young and not ready. She would have told God that she's not the right person. She would have said no to God's great plan for her life, and Jesus wouldn't have been born. I mean, think about that for a moment. God relied on the faith of one little Jewish girl. And because of her faith, he was able to bring us, his son, Jesus. And the plan that God has for your life, man, it is so worth saying yes to. Because when we step out in faith, when we respond the way that Mary did, saying, may it be, God is able to bring around great things and do amazing works through those people who say yes. It's a strange thing, the way that God works. He continually looks for ways to find faithful followers to work through. He continues to call people and ask them to step out in faith and move forward. And when they do, he uses their faith to change the world, to save it. He did it for Mary. He saved the world through her. And he can do it for us as well. See, God wants to do amazing things in you and through you. You might not think that is true. And like Mary's first response, say, how can that be? You've got the wrong person. But I'm telling you, God insists that you are the right person, the very person to do God's will. You're the one God needs. You're the one that God has chosen. You're the one to serve others. You're the one to serve people when others won't serve them. You're the one to comfort and love the, one, the ones the world has discarded. You're the one to sacrifice your wants and your desires to see the gospel spread. You're the one that God will send to your neighbor and your coworkers and your family and your friends to tell them about Jesus. You're the one to whom God will give courage and strength to do what you thought you were unable to do. Because nothing, nothing is impossible with God. So as the band comes up, I want to leave you with this. When the impossible hits our lives, when that unexpected event comes, when the unbelieving thing impacts our lives, that incredible event breaks our heart and shatters our dream, when tragedy strikes our lives, when the ground beneath us shifts and threatens to swallow us whole, Remember the story of Mary. Remember that an ordinary Jewish girl changed the world through her faith simply by saying yes to God. And remember the promise of Gabriel. Nothing, nothing shall be impossible with God. Even when the panic and the dread threatens to sweep everything away, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Mary. God, we thank you for her willingness to be obedient and say yes to you, Lord. For her willingness for you to disrupt her life and change her plans. 
God, thank you that you love us so much and that you want the best things for our lives. God, help us to trust that, to trust in you that all things are possible through you, Lord. And no matter what we're facing or no matter what we're going through, Lord, that we will trust you in those situations and that we will say yes to the things that you call us to do, even if they're hard. Lord, even if they seem impossible, that we will trust that you can do the impossible. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.